I always wonder what the program is that Lincoln Hilton uses. I mean, all that stuff. It's, I know it's auto-tune, but it's definitely not normal sounding, <laughs> especially on the practice channel. Yeah, well, you know, he, um, his, by the way, we are recording, but, oh, okay. But this isn't that kind of podcast where you have to worry about that kind of thing. Good. Um, I usually like just mess around with microphones, but yeah, so, so yeah, I would assume, like, I've done a lot of that stuff. I would mm-hmm. assume that he's just on, like, a, like, I use a program called Reason and could probably theoretically, technically, handle what he's doing mm-hmm. i love the video stuff that he does yeah well, the editing is really good you know even if you don't know who the guy is and most people yeah. probably don't um because he's not local to pretty much anybody but it'd be kind of neat to to see how he does like the behind the scenes stuff yeah that would be fun and it you know i really really appreciate that he's actually a excellent excellent player oh yeah like who's the girl like the girl badass rocker piper girl thing that like comes out with the videos and there's there's more than one there i think there's more than one like like sexy bagpiper chick yeah i that does like the uh like the rocker videos we talking about the ones that they've got like the they're Different looking bagpipes i'll put it that way yeah 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 like two drones yeah right and then she then she's like riding the trolley with mm-hmm. her pipes and like mm-hmm. rocking out. And that's like, she's not very good as a player technically. But people look, look after that. I and mean, that's going to be in vogue these days. Right. But like what I like about what Lincoln Hilton's doing. And I really like, I don't, I don't turn on red hot chili pipers usually mm-hmm. for like casual listening myself, but like you have to appreciate that they're actually playing really, really well. Mm-hmm. And that like they're strong ambassadors to like what the instrument actually has the potential to sound like. Yeah. Like I really I like that a lot. It's fun to hear good musicians playing good music. I'm jealous care. as hell. I'm jealous as hell, but I like it a lot. <laughs> like uh, like Lincoln Hilton's stuff is like so good. It's technically good and it's musically yeah top shelf. He has like a he has a formula. Yeah. You know, like it's kind of like watching episodes of House in certain ways. Like you know, because he's got his like he's got his um, inspiration and his like influences. Mm-hmm. So like, uh, but it's so good. It's like uh, I don't know. It's like any. It's like any artist though that it's you clever. listen to. It's, it's like it's, Mumford and Sons. You know, you're right. It's 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 not traditional Scottish music That's right. by any stretch. I don't think, at least. Mm-hmm. But it's it's fun to listen to. Um, it's 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 energizing young kids. Oh, That's for sure. No I mean, doubt. I was out there at the Dunedin Games this past weekend, and was he there? No, he was not there. But, but his they were music, all playing his tunes. His music was, yeah. and there was the North Texas band was playing one of his things, and. I stopped where I was dead in my tracks and I started listening to it and I can't remember what the tune was, um, but I recognized it. And I think most people probably would recognize that as a Lincoln Hilton tune. Yeah. Um, Field Marshall's tune from last year. Yeah. They axed that though. I don't think they, I don't think it ended up in the medley, did it? I, well, or did they, on which one they chose. Or did they play it on the Friday? Maybe they might have. Yeah. Yeah. They, that tune, that tune rocks. But again, you listen to it and you're like, I know what that is. I know where that came yeah, from. I've exactly. heard that a thousand times because I'm trying to do it myself. And that's all I mean. I don't mean formulaic bad. I mean, oh, no, no. I, I loved House. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the greatest show ever, at least for the <laughs> first like four seasons. Um, it was like really good. So I'm not trying to diss it, I'm, but it, but it's really, really cool, man. Mm-hmm. And the video element, like he's really in touch with like how to present the music mm-hmm like um, socially, mm-hmm. you know, like a video is what you need for Facebook. Like you could, you could yeah. cook up the hottest vi- uh, audio track ever. And then what? 
Well, you and, put it on SoundCloud or something. You know, I think technology is really fantastic in a lot of ways because it does it does reach the masses. You know, especially with Facebook and yeah. Twitter and all the other stuff that's out there nowadays. But you know, I think when I was a kid, and I'm 40 years old now, and so when I was cutting my teeth, I was in middle school and high school, um, listening to CDs and listening to, to the recordings of all the great players of the day, I kind of wonder if that has maybe sort of dumbed us down a little bit as a piping generation, because when you think about this, 100 years ago, it was all orally taught. Now, yeah. there's a, a there's one formula out there, talking about formulas, um, put it this, this way, uh, Willie McCallum CD that he put out. I teach the, the, the tune McFarlane's Gathering. I was taught that tune by Sandy Keith. And I sought that tune out on his CD and I thought, well, I, I want to sound like Willie McCallum. Yeah. And so I threw everything out the door that Sandy had taught me. And I totally went over to the Willie McCallum. And it works, right? And it, and it worked. Yeah. Yes. That's a, we but, had, we, uh, Andrew Lewis and myself, uh, we were all like McGregor salute Jim, yeah. Jim McGilvery CD. Yes. And that's like, I remember like in, that was before Andrew was like, such an incredible, well-studied, mm-hmm. like, super, like back when he was just getting into the solos, like I remember they told me one day, like, yeah, he learned that on the drive up from the Jimmy Gilvery CD. Yep. Like he didn't, I don't think he ever was taught the tune and he would just go to Ontario and slay, um, <laughs> you know, and rightfully so. I mean, right. cause the tune comes out. If you sound anything like Jimmy Gilvery, it's going to be pretty in grade two, you're going to do yep. all right. And that's like, that was how, I mean, I, I'll have to ask Andrew if that's actually a true story or not. Mm. But I, I seem to remember that. Like, luckily, I was a couple of grades ahead of him when he was coming up. Because, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. And he's he's got amazing touch. But it makes you wonder if we're losing some of the old... Well, yeah. You know, the, so, the, the different settings and things like that that aren't being played very much because everybody's listening to a recording. Yeah. Well, and now it's like, now people don't even have recordings anymore. No. It's all MP3s and, and it's and all like on, like, it's, it's almost like we've, we've gone through the, we've gone through the bottleneck and now mm-hmm. we're out the other side and mm-hmm. everything is just spilling into open space. Like now there's so much stuff available. They don't even bother making world CDs anymore. No, no. Isn't that weird? I mean, Monarch or the Glen. That's the only thing I remember from all those CDs was seeing the, the, the trademark yeah. on it. Yeah. You knew that was a world CD when you saw that. Yeah. And, but like, they don't even bother making them anymore no. because like most of the people, like myself, like if I want to listen to select performances, which is more like how many, have, did you sit down and listen to all the bands from the worlds this year? No. Well, no. I, I sat down and listened to a lot of the medleys, not so much of the MSRs because you knew what they were going to sound but like. But isn't that weird? Like, it is. Like, uh, I, we don't know each other that well, but I'm willing to bet 20 years ago, you used to have the world CD from that year. And, Absolutely. And you would just play it on repeat it over was... and over and over and over again. And then you would even <laughs> listen, you would even listen to the, the eighth place band because it was on the CD over and over and over again. Yep, that's and, right. And then they came out with the double CD set and you would listen to both of them back to back over and over again. And like, you would be able to you would be able to like recite almost every medley from yeah. almost every year, note for note. And play a lot of them. Mm-hmm. But the neat thing was, is you could also recognize which band it was based on their tone. I remember mm-hmm. David Urquhart Travel was always higher pitched than a lot of the other bands That's that were right. out there. That's right. And, and, and when you're putting the CD in the, the, in the deck there in your car, just driving around, it didn't matter what the medley was, but the pitch and the tone, you knew what, the, what band they were. Mm-hmm. Just based off of the, of the tone yeah. that they were able to get. Yes. And that, that's back before a lot of the, the Ross bags and Bannatine and, you know, the, the synthetic, synthetic stuff. But Yeah, I, I came into it at a weird time, like, like uh, and I didn't know at the time, but, like, I, I really started to get into it 
at that exact instant where bands started to overtake Strathclyde police. Mm. So I never really understood, like, I never really understood, like, that. I didn't never really understood their dynasty or anything. So I came in, like, SFU was knocking at the door mm-hmm. and shot. Fourth and fifth, right in that well, ballpark. Field Marshal, so Vic Field Marshal, like, 92, 93. So those yeah. were the first, like, and, and they were cassette tapes when, of course, of at course. that time. So we were listening to <laughs> Field Marshal, Queen of the Rushes, and all that stuff mm-hmm. in like 92, 93. Then there were shots. And then, like, and then, and I remember this really clearly. And par- part of it's because mm-hmm. it's part of my story as well. But I remember when SFU won mm-hmm. and like what a performance that was in 95. And yep. it was just like, it was earth shattering in a weird way because they're, they're so much more trad than mm-hmm. Shots was the year mm-hmm. before. Right, like shots was like cutting edge, but then SFU was just they just blew you away with the sound was so clean. Well, and and it wasn't actually so clean, but it was just so powerful mm-hmm. and so well done. And then the drum corps and the ensemble was like, not to say shots the year before was bad by any means, but for me it was just total. It was a total lane change. Mm-hmm. And SFU had such a unique voice in a weird way though, because they weren't. On the cutting edge. I mean, they played Tom Wilson to open the medley. Mm-hmm. And then, you know... Uh, Wooden Sinclair Channers. Yeah. And yeah. Like the wooden sound. And then they ended with Back of the Moon played round. Mm. But they had that, like, four-beat break. And it was just crazy. It's really good. But we don't really get that anymore. Like, what... Uh, now, in, in what was Inverary... What did Inverary's medley sound like last year? I know. Because I was, it, I was right. there. But, like, I bet you you don't. Because we didn't win. And uh, we had a good performance. But... Like, uh, I highly doubt, you know, I, uh, 20 years ago, you would be able to whistle the whole thing. You know, you know, it's funny you say that, because I think that if you think back to the medleys that had an impression on you. Yeah. And, and I hate to say the opening tune is always setting the tempo for everything, right? But what was it what, that uh, Castle Dangerous, when oh, Power Scottish played that? Power, yeah. When, they, when Power played that a couple years ago, for me, it was just kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. I, I don't know what it was, but the harmony part that Chris put in there... And, and everything that, that it, it worked mm-hmm. and it wasn't one of these machine gun style hornpipes that really musically doesn't really sort of catch your ear, but it's technically impressive. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying that's not a slight against any of the bands that play those, but a lot of bands have got those out there every single year at the Worlds. And I think that when you have a band come out there that takes a risk, plays a six, eight march out there, plays, you know, a three, four, it, it's, it's different in a lot of different ways, but it was, it was clever the way they did that. And for me, in the last 10 years, or, or well, I'm not sure when they put that out there. It was about, what, seven or eight years ago? Well, no, it wasn't quite that long. Was it? Maybe three or four years ago. And Whatever they still that was. played it. They oh, still yeah, played yeah. it last year. It was still in, at least the opener was still mm. in at least one of their medleys last year. I remember because it was uh, at Paisley. It wasn't at the Worlds, I don't think. It was at Paisley. And they were unbelievable at Paisley. But, you know, you hear that and you go, that's that's power. That's yeah. I know I know that band. Yep, and it's the same. Like I feel like in Verary when they, when we played the Hector the Hero medley, mm-hmm. I mean we won the worlds with it, sure, but it was two years before in 2016 at the worlds where that where that sort of came out and Bob Worrell and everybody else was like, holy shit, that was really good, <laughs> yeah. you know. And that was or no, it would have been, yeah, yeah 2015, 2015 it was, yeah, when when that one. But that was like it was like an iconic moment, and they do happen, but it's not like. It's not every year. I feel like it used to be every year, but maybe that's just nostalgia, like yeah. like creeping in. The other thing, the other issue that everybody's up against is um, just how clinical 
and pristine field marshal is every year. Yeah. Like, how do you compete against that? So like people are, bands are literally bashing their heads against the wall to try and figure out an angle yeah. where they can compete with that. Like Inverary's angle is, is interesting. I mean, like our band is getting a lot better with the tone like year by year, which helps, mm-hmm. but it's like, it has to be a whole different angle, right? Like high tempos, clever arrangements, yeah. uh, you know, that it's like, you have to take risks that you wouldn't normally take. And, and you can totally see that it's in there. Yeah. There's tons of risk in there just so. And what's really interesting is like, you know, I have it on good authority. Remember when SFU went back to back in 2008 and 2009? Yeah. Boy, that was really pretty neat to see that. Yeah. But I mean, uh, you know, I have it on good authority that people inside of Field Marshal were like, you know, having similar moments at that time. Like, like what do we need to do to like to beat them? Because they were so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's very interesting, but, but FM's dynasty is just, it's hard to like touch the Patriots. These days. They're oh, like yeah. the Patriots. Like if you're in the same division as, as the Patriots, what are you going to do? Yeah. And I wonder with a lot of the Scottish bands over there, if they're really rooting against them or if there's fans that are rooting against field marshal. I don't, I don't think that's the case. No, I think it is the case, but, really? but I don't think it's like every, I don't think it's like everybody. No, but I mean, you, you want to hear good music and, and you it's gotta hard. You got to respect it. Yeah. It's you so hard to achieve. It, but like, but there's an example where. There's an example where, like, I have nothing but respect for it. And, and like, I'm such a student of the game. Mm-hmm. So I'm obsessed with, like, what Richard's doing to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, I understand – there's – I can understand the criticism point, which would be – there, and it, I don't believe this is true just as a caveat. But, like, I, I can sympathize with the argument that it, it, it's not – generally speaking fresh and interesting like what they're bringing to the table because they don't have to like you know what i mean like they're it's they're, working so far it's like they're playing it safe mm-hmm. would be the argument i don't necessarily believe that certainly the past few years their their medleys have been really interesting and like cutting edge i think in some oh, ways oh yeah that that tune they play closing up oh oh yeah god what is that tune yeah i don't know kansas city something or other it's, yeah. it's one of the willie or uh, willie fred morrison yeah. tunes. Like that's um, not really, I mean, that tune, if you play it, it's not actually that hard to play, but it sounds amazing and it yeah. sounds intricate. The and harmony parts the they put in there. It's just, you're like, what the hell, man? It sucks. Right, like, game over. Just stop. I'll, I'll go out. Exactly. I'll go to the bar yeah. now. <laughs> it's exactly, that's exactly it. And, um, uh, it definitely has that effect. Uh, so I don't know. They're, they're so good though. Yeah. Like they're so. And you have to respect it. I don't care if you're Piper, drummer, tenor, whatever you're doing. Yeah. You, you know, you don't have to like it. Game. Like no. you don't have to like losing. I do not like it, but you got to respect it. You got to respect it. Yeah. And it's, and for so long, I mean, Richard's been around for how long has been Pipe Major that band? I don't know. 20, 25 years at least. Yeah. But I mean, he, like I said, I mean, he, the first world championship cassette tape that I used to listen to, I probably listened to it 800 times. Mm-hmm. They were the winners. And he's still there. And it was Richard. Yeah, he's still there. You know, and I, I think that was his big breakthrough year, 92, mm-hmm. I think. That's when they won, and the band was like, so, so good. Quantum leap forward, kind of. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's very interesting. It's it hard. makes you wonder what's going to happen in the next 10 years. You know, if, if Richard is going to hand the reins over to somebody else. and Well... It, it's very, it's very interesting. I'm sure we Matt, but uh, you know, when's that going to happen? And, and then what, what's, what's going to happen to the band after that? You Matt, know, Matt is really good. He's, he's really good. Like, I think, 
Um, I don't know. Like I, I, and I know all these guys personally and I, you know, so I, I won't put any words in their mouth, but mm-hmm. like my understanding is that Alistair, um, you know, wasn't really, and this is a very loose understanding. It's not like mm-hmm. I ever sat down with them and chatted about it, but like my understanding is he maybe didn't really want the pipe major job and enjoy being pipe sergeant, but you know, I guess he's also got a lot of irons in those fires. I mean, he's got about 10 different fires going on right now. A young family too, I think. Right. So the business and, um, and then I think somebody like Matt maybe would be. So I I think maybe there was just a juggling there that, uh, is Alistair still playing in the band or did he, I don't know. I don't know either. I didn't really even think to look out there this past year, but you know, Matt's got dollar and, and you know, that's a full-time gig and, yeah, I wonder how that's going to work because that's not even in the same. Yeah, but mm-hmm. uh, but Matt's the man. You oh know? yeah, he's and, he's uh, fantastic. Yeah, and he just uh, it, it, it's unbelievable what uh, what those what the juvenile band at Dollar is oh, doing. Oh yeah, it's unbelievable. It's like unbelievable. Well, we had him over for the USPBA judges seminar this past year, and just listening to him talk about what he does with the young kids is really, really impressive. I, I mean, yeah. just some of the techniques that he was using, and I'm, I'll let him go through those, but um, cause I'm sure he's got a formula that he doesn't want to really get right. out. Well, but, um, but he's such yeah, a smart guy, and you can tell he knows what he's doing. Um, he's got a great staff, obviously, too. But... Yeah. I think they're mostly good. I think Callum is kind of dead weight on the staff. <laughs> Callum Beaumont. I think he's kind of... I think that I think that hiring choice was a mistake, but... <laughs> but you know, it's not my place. It's not my place. Uh, nor mine. But uh, and then uh, who's that other? There's Lee and who's that other drummer guy? Oh, I don't know. Oh, um, he's crap. Um, he won the world solos like eight times in a row. What's yeah. What is that guy's name? Yeah. So yeah, they have a great Stevenson staff, brother. And, um, you know, one of the things about Dollar too is they they got the bucks. Yeah, they do. Um, it's like a really it's a high end sort of prep school. So so you have people with bucks mm-hmm. in an isolated area every day of the week, all year round. You know, I, I kind of wonder if on graduation day, there's not like a, a, a line of pipe majors out the door waiting for those guys to, yeah, to, to walk yeah, out yeah. with their diploma and say, hey, now that you're graduated, got a place for you to go. We've got like a job for you set up and don't go to London. London, London's terrible. Yeah. Uh, come to Aberdeen. Exactly. <laughs> or, or, or Glasgow. Oh, even better. Yeah. It's like that scene from the blind side where, <laughs> yeah, all, the, that's right. where all the coaches are lined up. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a farm. It's an absolute farm for, for great players. So, yeah, I'm jealous of of that. I mean, how can you, again, how can you compete against that? Yeah, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I say that a lot, you know. I say that a lot. I think we're about to get, because, you know, there's like a history, for me, like as a colonial, Mm -mm. you know. I've heard that a few times. There's a history, right? There's a history in the pipe band, like, and we're in it, so we don't really realize it, but like, Strathclyde police were really great, but then there was an era briefly where, uh, North Americans kind of like took it to the mm-hmm. Scots, like, you know, to a oh, degree, yeah. I don't yeah. want to get carried away here, well, but the, like the, the foreigners in general, I mean, 98 with Vic. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you yeah. know, all those championships over there with SFU sure. and like there was a moment, but there was a moment like for maybe a decade where North America was really relevant. And yeah. like, then there was Bruce Gandy and Michael Gray and Bill Livingston mm-hmm. and they were doing 70th Frasers, but they were also composing like some of the greatest bagpipe tunes oh, God, ever. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was happening. They're super relevant. And then there's Reed Maxwell and then, and there's SFU, mm-hmm. like uh, it was super relevant, but like, and 
I think we're about to get, that's why I'm really excited for like Dunedin and, you know, like to see that there's a program going in the right direction, Yeah, which is we're about to get royally smacked down. Well, like we, we we're only seeing the edge, but like there's this generation of kids who in five years, like are, they're so good and they're so dialed in and they're mm -hmm. so well taught from such a young age. There's no way. A UK band is going to lose the worlds. You know, there's no yeah. way. There's no way a North American band is going to win the worlds, unless we can do something to compete with, like the beautiful machine they now have set up. Yeah. And we don't. We haven't realized it yet. And you think about the number of spots that there are in these top level bands. <laughs> That's right. What, it's like the NBA. 20, 20, 21 spots. These guys aren't leaving. You know, you've got to either die or or go to jail uh, to, to lose a spot in, mm -hmm. in the band. And and if you're really that good and you're that high end, but then you think about all these kids that are graduating dollar and, and yeah. George Watson's and all these great schools, they've got to have a place to go play and they will. And they that's will. The that's right. Um, but they'll go to play in a grade two band first and then cut their teeth there and then hopefully move on. It's just but like the NBA, man. Exactly. Right. It's there's, like, there's farm uh, teams all over the place over there. And how do you compete with that? It makes I mean, me ill. Yeah. It's, and it's just going to be like, um, it's, it's just crazy. And, and like, and it's sad in a way. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, it's sad because I feel like, hmm, cause I want to segue this somehow into what it's like to be EWS PBA president. Oh God. Just a little, like, I want to figure out how to segue, but like, it's sad in a way that, that there's so much, uh, there, there's so much like, uh, clan warfare. Yeah. And I think if you look at the, the East PBA, in, in general. Yeah, let's they're, look at that. There supports my segue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm trying to help you out here. Man. Yeah. There are pockets all around. So these, many. There, there, are, there are pockets that are very, very good. St. Thomas, you know, you got the school band, then you got the alumni programs, and they got two good solid bands out there. Then you look at Dunedin, then you look at the Northeast. The, um, I see what Empire is trying to do now um, there in, in, in New York City. It's good to see some of these things popping up. And I do wonder if. I mean, Dunedin and St. Thomas aside, because those are very, they're on their own island in each place. But, you know, you want to support these bands that are really, really good, solid bands and hopefully build them up and see what you can do to, to, to try to build them. But a lot of these guys, and I'll, I'll take myself for, as an example, a lot of these people that are that are playing in the lower grade bands are not getting, getting taught by superstar players. I know. They're getting, they're getting taught by somebody who is competent and they're very, very good at what they do and they're great teachers, but they're not a Willie McCallum. They're not an Angus McCall. They're, they're, they're not. I think that's what makes me like, I think that's what makes me frustrated and perplexed mm -hmm. in that. Like we're getting to the point now where most of these pockets, right. Most of these, like, let's call them medium sized ponds. Mm -hmm. Like, like, you know, St. Thomas, like, and I have another thought, but I, I'll try not to interrupt myself. Um, <laughs> you know, the players are there now, like yeah. great players are there, but like people aren't doing the obvious thing. And, and seeking them out. Yeah. They're, and, they're not teaching. A and lot. then, yeah, some, some of these people aren't teaching a lot, but like, I think sometimes they're not teaching a lot because they don't want to get involved in like the stew mm -hmm. of like, uh, kind of like in, it's like infighting. It's like, uh, you know, it's like, Oh, you, you're in our band. So you, you can't like, you can't go talk to that yeah. person. And that, that still exists. And like, and then the other question is you look, you, you mentioned how St. Thomas and, Dunedin are in their own isolated pockets. And it's like, is that part of why they've been able to be so successful? And you know, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> Cause you're not fighting with, you're not like, fighting with other bands. Yeah. And, and cause that's what happens, right? Like 
like um, what happens is you try to get another something going mm-hmm. in your area, that, but the other things that are going are big enough to kind of like try and shove sticks in your spokes and keep it from happening. Yep. Like usual political crap, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, and that happens in Scotland too, no it does. doubt. It does. It, there's just so many people in such a tight knit area that that it has, you know, that the cream does rise to the top. But I, I do think that if you look at a lot of the good bands over the course of time, and I think you can probably say that a lot of good bands, that they, they've got a lot of feeder bands, and that's basically all the other bands that are out there. But if you look at the bands that are Field Marshal aside, but I think if you look at a lot of the, the top bands like Bog Hall, SFU, um, they've got feeder programs. They, and, and once you're in the board collective, you don't go away. You're there for life. Well, and, yeah, and, and I, I, I think, think that, that you yeah. always want to support your home band because that's the band you learned in. You've grown up and you want to be in the top band if right. you're a kid. It's almost kind of like, um, I don't know, being a, a Buffalo Sabres fan as a kid growing up in Buffalo. You know, you want to play for that team. Yeah. And then you get, I don't know, the Coyotes. Yeah. When you, when you get drafted and you're like, oh, God. Oh, man. But that happens to everybody. Yeah, that's like right. Like Zion's going to have to go play for like the 76ers or, <laughs> for like exactly, 10 years or Exactly something. right. And hate his life. Yeah. But, well, but, I, but I think, that, you know, these kids, they got the choice to stay there. They're going to want to stay there. They get the chance to play for their their heroes. And, and, and I hope that that's probably the, the, the case in some of these pocket organizations like St. Thomas. I hope these kids want to grow up and play in, in the big band. I hope the, the Dunedin kids want to grow up and play in Dunedin and support that. I mean, that's the only way that these bands are going to survive over here at a top level. But that's cool. And it's like compounding interest, right? It like is. Each year it gets a little bit stronger. Maybe not twice as strong, but it, each year it gets 8% stronger. And then in 30 years, you have like a, an amazing like uh, legacy, right? That's right. I just feel like we never get anything off the ground, you know? Or, or, or it's just like it's really, really hard to do. I think it's going to be a really big struggle. And I think that it's the biggest struggle for us. Or sorry, the biggest struggle for us is not necessarily teaching or anything else. It's distance. You, you go to Scotland, you've got what eight gold medalists yeah. that live uh, in, in downtown Glasgow. Well, that's right. Scotland is like the size of New York State. Yeah, that's right. And you've got all these great players over there that you can go to. If you don't like one, okay, fine. You've got twelve others within a five-minute bike ride over there. But over here, we've got thousand, two thousand miles between you know, New York and, and Florida or wherever you want to go to play. Imagine if the furthest competition that you had to go to was a two hour drive and then a one hour ferry away. Oh yeah. That'd Cause be that's fantastic. what it is. Like the furthest major, the furthest major away from anybody uh, in the whole RSPBA circuit is like, like to go to Ireland and yeah. granted, granted yep. if you're in Ireland, or Northern Ireland, you, you have to come to Scotland regularly. But like, sure. imagine what a blessing that would be for people like us. <laughs> oh, well, for, you know, like people like you and people like me to go play in the bands we want to play in, you know, you're having to spend a gob of money to, to fly over there. For me, it's an eight-hour drive yeah. down and back. It, it's very, very difficult to do that. You might get a cheaper flight because you live in New York, but for me coming from South Carolina, you know, there's nothing around in South Carolina really at all. That there, There's just nothing there. So for me to be able to travel and play with a band, I've got to go – and really do some traveling. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I, if, I, it must be really gratifying for you to play an American band. Like, like that's why I came back home is <coughs> to try and do, you know, because I played in SFU for yeah. many years, of course. And then, uh, but the reason I came back home is to, like, try and do that here. And yeah. granted, there's the whole his. I mean, we did, we were successful. And then there's the whole, like, collapse of the band and everything that went down. Uh, but, like, I love playing in Inverary, but, yeah. but, like, I don't it's like, but I, I don't want to do that forever 
and I want there to be something great to do closer to home. But it's like so hard to figure it out, especially because, especially things haven't gone badly five or so years ago now. It's like really hard to pick up the pieces. Sure. Which is like, which is just like, uh, you know. It's always difficult to see something you've put a lot of time and effort into not be there anymore. Yeah. And it's not like anybody, it's not like anybody is trying for that to happen, you know, well, regardless and, of what side of a conflict and, you're on. And the thing that, that speaking of that, for me, it, it's especially painful because there's so much talent in the Northeast. There is so much talent up here. Yeah. You know, you got Worcester now doing something that's, that's really yeah. great. I'm thrilled to death to see them doing it. But, you know, when New York Metro is not playing, or, uh, I, I mean, it's just, there's so much talent. And it's, for me, it's, it's, it's painful to, to watch because, Either people can't put uh, the, their their differences aside, or I, I don't, I'm not sure really sure what the deal is up here. But you would like to see somebody say, "Okay, fine, let's let's all get together, let's do something." Whether it's at Worcester, at New York Metro, or build another band, yeah. or something, something to create a third band up here in the Northeast. If there's only two bands in Grade Two, and one's playing, there. I mean, I remember the days where there was Telegard, there was Saffron, there was. Uh, I had the Grade Two band in, in Charleston. Um, I mean, there was like six bands competing at, at Glasgow Inns in Rockland County one year mm-hmm. in grade two. Yeah. Uh, or or uh, wherever that was up here. We, we traveled up here to play. And and it was really a, a viable grade two and vibrant grade two scene. Yeah. Same thing in Ontario. But now they've got, what, one band up there. They've had a, a, a pretty rough go of it. It all seems to go the same way, contests. though, doesn't it? It, it does. Because, I mean, like, flows. what happened to... Uh, what happened to Telecard? I don't know. I don't know the I don't details. Know and I don't want to no, get Manchester into it. Manchester as well. But Manchester like, yeah, Telecard, Manchester, Schenectady before Schenectady, then. Schenectady, that's and right. And then like, you know, Oren Moore, I like to think. Yeah, like, Oren Moore, that's right. I like to think we had somehow a better death, but we really didn't. <laughs> you know, it's all the same kind of. Yeah. It all, it, but it all kind of does that. And, you know, maybe the light burns a little bit brighter, a little bit longer, but. Mm-hmm. but uh, <clears throat> so I guess the, the, my question is, if those bands, if those bands had a feeder system to catch the problems, you know, if somebody is not playing well, you got some kid coming up and playing rather than going to another organization and playing. I wonder if that would have helped continue that for a little longer. And, and, and I don't know what the answer to that is. I really don't. But it makes you wonder if, if Orn Moore had a, a, a teaching program at the grade four and five and three level. Um, well, we did. I don't know. I mean, we did. We had a partnership with we had a partnership with Scotia Glenville for a long time, you know, and mm-hmm. that was like, you know, super great. And then that sort of fell apart as well, though. And then, yeah, didn't uh, that's what my understanding is. But it makes you wonder, you know, what would happen if, if there was a mega band in the, in the Northeast somewhere, whether that's Worcester or some other group. But it would be nice to see how well that could compete overseas. Yeah. See, we never had that. Orrin Moore was never that. Mm-hmm. You know, it was but, never. But again, the- distance wise, if I'm able to drive eight hours to go to Dunedin, across New England and, and the Northeast here, you could drive four hours or, or three hours. Yeah, and, but and it be still doesn't like distance, it's, right? You know, I mean, we were just, we were talking about this before we recorded. I mean, you know that there's a limit to how, how much, how many travel and players you could have before, right, to right. have a truly viable, sustainable product. I think it's like Oren Moore was viable, but it wasn't sustainable because 78% of the group traveled more uh, than two right. hours to practice. Right. You like, can't do that every week. Yeah, I mean, I, you can. We did. Oh, and that, again, that you know, bright, but it breaks. Like it bends, it yeah. bends, it bends, and then it breaks. And you know, like you know, a lot of that, uh, you know, the conflicts that arose. I've I've spoken about this with some other people on, uh, on this little podcast project too. Mm-hmm. It's like what happens is like you you 
all, you know, everybody involved pushes so hard <laughs> that like personal relationships, um, you know, get taxed heavily, yeah. you know, and it's just the way that it is. I don't believe it makes anybody a bad person, but you know, it's, it's a like, lot of stress. And there's a lot of teenage kids with super, with tons of talent mm-hmm. traveling long distances that you need to get more out of. Yeah. You know, uh, that was a, you know, that's, that's a problem. So yeah. it's like, oh, you're driving across New England. You're 15 years old driving across New England. There's lots of teenage stuff going on in your life, but. Oh God. Especially like, these days. This is what we need. We need this. We need this. We need this. And then like, you know, and that, that's taxing. That's yeah. not what you want. Well, kids these days, it's not just piping and drumming. You know, you've got. Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, you've got, uh, you know, school plays, you've got all this other stuff that they're doing. But if you're getting like, if you're struggling in social studies, Mm -hmm. right. Um, but you're expected to drive all the way across the state this weekend, uh, to go to band practice because we're a grade one band and that's what we need you to do. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's hard. Like there's some, that's not sustainable. No, you know, like, uh, you know, and then going back to things that I've been a part of where it is really cool and really sustainable. Like, RM, RMM was really, really cool. And I was involved when the band was going over to Scotland and juvenile and mm. expecting to win. And those bands were really good. And those kids, it was like they were on a football team or, mm-hmm. or like, a, like it was fairly local for most people to come play in the band. Either that or they, or they were fly-ins, but they spent like all of July and August with the band. Mm-hmm. Kind of maybe like a DCI band yeah. or something. That well, works. And see, that's kind of what St. Thomas has got. And talking with Lyric and Nick, yeah, they don't have a football team. They don't have any kind of real major sport. I'm sure they've got good sports out there. But it's cool to be in the bagpipe band. You know, you've got to do that. You, you, you want to do that. Yeah. And I think that that is fairly unique in the, 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 the grand spectrum of high schools. Everybody's got a football team. you got a sport. They all want to go play on the football team. They all want to go play soccer or whatever the major sport is there. But there, the major sport is, is the bagpipe band. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. I mean, in what weird universe do you live in where that's the case? Yeah, it's it's really, really interesting. And that's and, why they're so good. And and I but I also but it's also sustainable, I think, because they're not you're not like you're not setting up whacked out relationships right. with these people right. in order to make it happen. You know, and I think that's I think that's part of what we're struggling with in our area mm-hmm. is like there is no, you know, there is no way to do it right now without like because no one cooperates with anyone else. Yeah, I think uh, is that to do anything meaningful, it's like extremely taxing on relationships. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, especially, you know, you know especially in the uh, upstate New York area, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's just hard. Mm-hmm. It's just hard right now. Um, and then, yeah, it's just really interesting. It is. And, and I hope that the next 10 years, talking about in the future here, I hope that there's going to be some bands that start coming up through the ranks. You know, I think that's going to be the, the next big thing is hopefully trying to take, having somebody take on a project. Uh, if you look at the McMillan program, you know, for a number of years there, that was, they were a decent grade three band. And what Donlin's done there is, is take them from a, a, a a decent grade three band into grade two. They're, they're now doing pretty well in grade yeah. two. And I, I hope that they do well this coming year in grade two. But I think that if some of these really, really good luminaries, we've got younger guys uh, in, in our association, if they take a, a local band from being a good band to the next level and hopefully trying to sustain that and, and hopefully build the program, that's going to be a, a, a challenge for sure. But I, I, I do know, having done it myself, I took a grade four band from grade four to 
which wasn't really a winning grade four band. They were good, but from grade four to grade two in about three, four years, mm-hmm. had great people around me and people who wanted to go out and do it, but they were basically a street band. And I'm hoping that there's more younger people out there right now that have got the motivation. They don't have, you know, a family, they don't have, you know, a, a major career or whatever it is, but they're able to, to, to put, put a lot of time and effort into this to build some of these, yeah. you know, grade four, grade three programs into grade two and, and hopefully into grade one programs over the course of 15 years or 20 years. Uh, cause that's a, not, that's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. It's like, even it, though Ian did it in four years, it's weird too. Like yeah, don't Eden. I think, yeah. But I mean, that's going to be the thing. I mean, you can't just build a band out of nothing, but I do hope that some of these guys do take up the reins. And when they move to a certain area for a job or whatever it is that they put into the local band, and, and try to get that local band to, to be a little bit more than it was when they got there. Um, but that's always difficult to do. And you got to have the buy-in from the band and everybody that's there and break a few eggs too, which is unfortunate, but yeah, you know, some of the people aren't going to be on board for that. I think like, you know, in reflecting on my time at SFU, like it, it's really <clears throat> kind of remarkable how it all came together. Mm. Um, and, and I, you know, it seems like it's so obvious now, but I don't think it was when it was getting going. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of people don't realize that like SFU kind of got their butts kicked for a while before they were really good as well. People don't realize that, but it's like so many people had to come together and like decide to work well together mm-hmm. to make it happen. It's, you know, it... and it just happens more and more over the years, but it's almost like the culture of deciding to work together it's like, that's the most important thing. That's what I was kind of like, like telling you earlier when we were talking about <clears throat> Dunedin's success and you know how there's like things in the playing that mm-hmm. you, you know, that you guys are working on fixing and it's like not a high priority really. Like it is like, obviously you always want to play right, better, right. but it's like, but what you guys have going it's is April. Yeah. And, but it's April and it's year what? Year one and grade one. Yeah, you know, it's exactly. Like everything reset exactly. when you get into the, to grade one because now you, you're, it's not just early in the year though. Is my point like it's also early in what could potentially be like a, a grand legacy? We hope so, and yeah, you know, like that's so exciting. It, I mean, for me, I, I started in the Dunedin program as a kid in the middle school program, and you know, talking about progression through the ranks and yeah. everything else from middle school to high school to the city program, and then you know whatever. But I didn't go to the, the high school for more than one year. I went to a, a boarding school. But, you know, seeing the progression of people coming through the ranks there and who makes it, who doesn't, and hopefully having people go from now the grade three band to the grade one band, which is a huge jump, as you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you bridge that gap between grade three and grade one? We've got um, a number of young, talented people down there, the two Miller girls. Uh, I'll use them as a good example. You know, what are you going to do with these two girls now that they're playing in the high school, one's playing in the middle school? And, and now they're going to want to play in the grade one band at some point. How do you go from a, a grade four high school band to the grade one band? Well, obviously there's a grade three band in there, but you know, the progression is, is, is the key, but how do you, how do you learn how to blow in a grade one band if you don't have a grade two band to, yeah. to bridge the gap? Well, I mean, I think that's hard. I think it's, uh, it's also easy to overthink and it would be, I think it would be easy to overstretch too. Mm-hmm. Like, I think what you need to do or what I, what I think Cause I've thought about this kind of stuff mm-hmm. before. It's like, I think ideally uh, is you have a period of time where and I, there was, there's actually an example of this in my past. Um, a guy named Evan Stewart. I've heard that name before. I don't know why. Evan, Great player, man. He played in SFU for a couple of solid years. Mm-hmm. When I first joined SFU and I was uh, 16 or 17 years old, when I first joined SFU, 
So I was a young guy. But when I was there, there was this kid named Evan. Evan was pipe major of the juvenile band. But he was playing in SFU in every, at, at every moment other than on the field. Mm-hmm. And he even played some concert spots. <clears throat> but he was, for all intents and purposes... In the grade one band. In the band, but he wasn't ready yet. But he was just, he was basically shadowing the band and he did it for an entire year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he played in the juvenile band, you know, and he was pipe major and, you know, they don't have nearly as much material. Yeah. So like, but I think, I think to have a culture like that would be. And that's kind of what we've been doing because there are some high school kids that are playing in the grade one band now. And whether they're ready for primetime or not, that's Ian's call, obviously. But it's great to see these guys out there playing in a contest, getting the juices flowing, yeah. going through the, the tune-up process, not freaking out, playing better than a lot of the players that have been there for years. Maybe not tone-wise, but the hands are there. And and I think that's probably the, the way you, that you do bridge that gap. But, you know, until you've got the hands, you can't go in there and start working on the tone. Um, but it's going to be a neat process to see these girls come but up yeah. through the ranks. And, and I think as soon as you have the hands, like you got to get these kids into the practice. Absolutely. Practicing. And, you even know, if, even if you're just sitting there listening, you know, people forget about how, how much you can learn just from listening yeah, to, well, to a band and, and finding out what they're doing and watching the band work. And yeah. And it's also like, it, it's another thing. Like you don't have to sound amazing at every practice mm-hmm. in order to achieve like important things. Yeah. So, you know, working through the music, talking about expression, like working on the tone, even if you have young blowers in there that are making it really hard to get perfect tone, like mm-hmm. it's so educational for them too. And they'll get better after one practice. Yeah. Because they'll, they'll sit there and they'll think, okay, what did I do wrong? You know, I got yelled at for this, this, and this. What did I do right? Okay, that's good. I'll, I'll make a mental note of that. But it's neat to see some of the gears turning in some of these these kids' heads yeah. uh, and, and seeing what they are picking up from some of the other players that are around them. Mm-hmm. And, and Ian does a great job of putting – one of these kids between two solid players to make sure that they know what they're supposed to sound like and then trying to match the tone. And, you know, as long as they can blend pretty well, then they're well on their way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably the, 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 the neatest thing to see is from one season to the next, what have they learned? How much better have they gotten? Yeah. And, and where do they now fit into the greater good of the band? Uh, are they ready yet? Are they not ready yet? Um, and then of course you've got out of town players that want to come in and play as well. And, you know, there's only so many roster spots, but obviously you're always wanting to put the best band on the field, but, you know, you don't want to chop your nose off to spite your face with the kids. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's a delicate balance and like, and it's not a rush, like, you know, and it's not a rush and, and yeah. And these kids aren't going anywhere, which is, at least I hope they're not going anywhere. Right. I'll put it to you that way. Because um, it, it'd be great to see what the band could sound like in five years. Well, that's just it. It's like, you're not going to win the world's, like, let's say, let's say you, you, um, Inverary's a different story there. No, I'm, I'm speaking about like a band like Dunedin, mm-hmm. not specifically Dunedin, but in your position, you're not going to win the Worlds next year. Like, no. let's say you go to the Worlds next nope. year. You're not going to win next year. No, nope. even, uh, even if we sounded good enough to win it, we're not going to win it. <laughs> that's a whole different, that's a whole different ball of wax. But let's just say Agreed. conceptually, right? Like, you're not going to be better than Field Marshall and Inverary and Scottish Power by next year. Nope. Probably not. And nope. I, don't let me limit you either. Like, I hope you are. It'd be great to be in the top yeah, six. It would be great to that's, be that that's, good. In my mind, that'd be the goal. But sure. uh, again, not speaking for Ian, I don't know. But it's but it'd like, be great to be able to be, say we're in the top six. But would you rather, like, but would you rather be, let's say, good enough to be in the top six next year? Or would you rather be ready to have a chance to win it every single year? In seven years. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what would you pick? Oh, uh, the long game, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Just play the long game. Yeah. And like, you know, um, some, like, and we were speaking about the power of long distance players, like mm-hmm. a few 
of the right long distance players is good for any band. And one can kill it. <clears throat> one could maybe kill it, but like, but when it becomes, and we had this problem in or more, like I loved all of our long distance players, but um, it, it, like it rapidly becomes something that you now, now you're accidentally kind of relying on yeah, it. Yeah. And, you know, instead of like, instead of being like, whoa, maybe we need to just, you know, maybe we just need to take the foot off the gas right now and just, you know, uh, take our lumps maybe and not push quite so hard. And like, mm-hmm. let's get X, Y, Z up to snuff, like ready to play or whatever. Instead of doing that, you're just like, Oh, who else can we get? Who yeah, else can we get? Yeah. Who else can we get? And then like, that's a be- stopgap is what it is. And it be- but it, but it's like it's addicting maybe mm. like to go out there and try and find more people and but that's not good for anybody no in and, the long game and i think when you look at Dunedin, i think they've got a good balance of in-town players and out-of-town players yeah, yeah there's always gonna be a lot of out-of-town players that want to come play and that's great it's flattering it's it's wonderful you know give them, give them a shot to come down and, and, and blend in and, and do what they can do certainly not a guarantee no matter who they are but it, it's even more awesome to see these young kids actually coming up and making it. Um, we've had a number of kids come up even the last two or three years that weren't there five years ago. Right. And now you look at, you know, what percentage those, those people are, you're looking at 10, 15, 20% and every more or every year it's one more person Yeah. or two more people or three more people. And, and, you know, pretty soon the out of town player is going to be obsolete in a lot of ways. I mean, th- like we were talking earlier, a good out of town player can add a lot. That can add a lot of experience, a lot of leadership and everything else. But you don't want, again, you don't want to rely on that. The, the core, 90% of the players should be in-town players. And I think that when you look at bands these days in grade one, I would probably hedge a bet that not many of those have got a, a 90% in-town rate. A lot of them. Yeah, like they have out-of-towners oh, yeah. that are more and, than that. And they're, and they're great players. Nothing to take away from that. Inverary's probably like 80-20. Mm-hmm. It depends if you count the drum core, and I don't know enough about but like a lot of a lot of our drum core is maybe kind of spread out. Drumming is a different animal, though, and and it is kind of a it is kind of weird in that like I think drum corps are able to do a a lot more when every single person mm-hmm. is there in the same room. Hyper accuracy. Yeah, and but they also have like a they also have like a super focused, which is seems weird to say about mm-hmm. drummers. So sorry about that. <laughs> but like they have this like super focused like. Um, like like a hive mind mm-hmm. think tank mm-hmm. model. Yeah, I, I like, totally uh, agree with you. So a pipe core, it's really hard to develop a pipe core in like long weekend, in like three long weekends. Mm-hmm. Instead, like it really has to be like, you know, almost like Inverair is kind of a bi-weekly model and you just mm-hmm. kind of chip away at it. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be the way pipers work best. I don't know if that's really true. Well, my brother's a very good drummer and, and he lives in Charleston as well. Being an out-of-town player, on the drumming side of things, if one small thing changes, and of course you're not playing lead tip all the time, you've got to think of it from the standpoint of, okay, what's, what's the lead drummer doing? How do I fit in here? When do I come in? Yeah. When do I not come in? Even if you get recordings of this stuff, the hyper accuracy of every single drum score that is played at the grade two, grade one level, you, you man, you've got to beat that thing into your head for hours yeah. to make sure you're not going to be that one person that's going to be coming in that slight bit late. Now, I, I would hate to be a drummer in, in a band. I'll yeah. be honest with you. It's just a, it's like, it's a different, like, it's a different approach. Yeah. It's a wildly different animal. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why we're having so much trouble with drummers. Uh, if you look at the association in general, we're losing bands because we don't have drummers and we're trying to do everything we can to, to build the drumming up from the ground floor. Um, I mean, if you look at who's playing grade one solos right now in drumming, who's out there playing grade two solos? Don't know. Not a whole lot. Uh, I mean, when you go to the games, there might be one or two players playing in, in grade one solos these days. 
Um, I mean, the drumming doesn't even start until 10 o'clock because of the low numbers. Yeah. You know, and, and it makes you kind of wonder what's, what's the deal happen? with that. What's the deal with that? I think well, a lot of drummers, well, first of all, like, I think a lot of drummers go elsewhere. You know, I, I don't think, I, I think it's very easy to market the bagpipe. I don't think it's very easy to market the snare drum. Um, tenor drum, yeah, 100% probably. Agree. And, and, and I think that everybody wants, everybody wants to be a bagpiper in a bagpipe because it's unique. Drummers, you know, it, I think. Well, if you're a good percussionist, right? If you can play amazing flams and drags, and you have a great groove, yeah. you could you could play. I mean, you can adapt those fundamental skills to a oh. wide variety of options. What were there? Twenty-two, twenty-four rudiments, whatever they are, and, and they're all the same rudiments across the board. It's kind of like you know, A, B, C, D. As long as you can put all the, the, the letters and vowels together and everything else, you can make music. You've got options. You've got options. That's yeah. right. And, and I do wonder about, you know, some of these DCI bands and some of the high school cores. They play everything very, very open and, and, and round and monotone. You know and the other thing monotone, that happens. But, yeah, the other thing that happens in pipe bands too, which I don't think it's the main thing, but I think it causes a lot of problems, is when you're a drummer and you don't instantly display tons of talent, mm. what do they tell you? Playing the tenor drum. Yeah. So or, like or, or bass. I think we lose a lot of potential really good yeah. drummers because we need tenor drummers and bass drummers too yeah. at the beginning levels. Yeah. And like we pigeonhole people. And like what happens if you're just a late bloomer and you do have lots of talent, but um but instead they're like, Oh, you should play the tenor right now. The tenor drum is an amazing instrument, but it's wildly different from maybe what you thought you were getting into. Oh yeah. In the snare drum. It's like visual and like you know, I'm not a visual guy like that. Playing the tenor drum would not be my ball of wax. No, so not, maybe not I would, qu- maybe I'd end up quitting and, mm-hmm. and trying to play drums in something else. But I think that the, the saber toothed tiger that nobody talks about is reading music. And, and I think that's the same thing for pipers as well. A lot of pipers still can't read music, even though there's tons of resources out there for you to, to learn and, and to really get into it. Yeah. But, you know, drumming music is, 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 again, a different animal. And when you look at all the different little things that are written in the drumming music, it, to be able to sight read through that in real time, well, you've really got to be good at that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I can sight read fairly well, I think, um, pretty much at speed and everything else. And that comes with time and, and learning and everything else. But we're, we're talking about, you know, quarter notes and half notes and eighth notes and 30 seconds. They're talking about, you know, 64ths and 128ths yeah. really is what we're talking about there. Yep. And and then putting them all together. It's like reading lines of code and coming up with, with music there. Plus I don't they, know how they do it. Plus they have like dynamic range to think about and crescendo. Chips and, mm-hmm. you know, Chips. whatever they, they do in there. I don't know what they do. I'm, I'm not one of those guys, but but I'm impressed all the time about what they're able to do and how they're able to read through, through, read through that stuff. Um, and in real time, it's amazing to me. But um, I think it's more technical than it is musical a lot of times yeah. because of what they've got to, to do to produce the sound they have. And I'm not taking away that's not musical, but it's just, you know, when you look at dynamic range, we can't do that as pipers. Would it be fair to say, here's another question for you. Um, would it be fair to say that uh, bagpiping visionaries and like passionate like teachers are much more common than snare drumming ones? I think they are, yeah. And like it seems to me, and I'm just stereotyping, it's probably going to annoy a lot of people, but it seems to me like most snare drummers I know that are really good, they just like to play. Who's teaching up in the Northeast right now? I mean, I've had this discussion with a number of different people. You've got some part-time instructors in uh, Evan McManus, and you've got um, uh, Scott Fletcher. They're doing some part-time stuff with some some bands up here in the yeah. Northeast. But it's not all the time. Who else is teaching up and here? And it's not like a thing. It's not no. like not um, like you know 
because we worked with Scott for a number of years mm-hmm. and Stuart Highlanders and stuff. And, but even Scott was like, you know, he, he wasn't that interested in, in like go, go, go sure. with a drumming program. Sure. Like, you know, he didn't have grand visions that he was like super passionate about pursuing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Scott's a guy like, you know, he's starting a family and he has a career and he also likes to play drums, sure. you know? And like, I feel like in bagpiping, it's a lot more common almost toxically so for people to be like, I want to start a program and this is what I want to do. Yeah. And, um, almost like it goes too far almost. I, and, and I think because as we all know, like some people that don't have the chops, that's what they want to do is teach. Sure. And then, but then they also can't let go when, sure. when they can't take them to the next level and all that oh, stuff. That, and that's very, very common, I think. Yeah. Um, and especially true with kids and adults, you know, you always got that adult. That's a great teacher. And, you know, there's some people in the South, and I'm not going to name names, but um, but there's some great teachers in the South that bring them up from scratch, from right from the ground floor yeah. up. And then when they get to a certain point, they don't try to hand them off to somebody else. They, they want to keep the, yeah. the, the control over that student. And then you look at them, you go, okay, well, this student is far better technically and musically than the instructor is. And, and, and you want to push those people into the next level. Yeah. You know, and, and it's difficult to do that. It's and weird because it's personal like, nature, I think. It's weird because you look at, you can see other successful models like bas- basketball comes to mind. Sure, you know, like sure. you get, you know, you, when you start off playing basketball, like your dad or, or mm. your buddy's dad is like the coach. Yeah. And you're just little kids running around. But then after that, like you end up in, when you're in like sixth grade or seventh grade, yeah, you end JV up, and varsity. And yeah, well, or, or I think was I on the modified team or something mm, before? I forget sure. what they called it. Sure. But like you played and, and like that was, that coach was like, okay, he's not the greatest coach ever but if you're lucky you get a coach that understands what's important for you to focus Mm -hmm. on at that age usually and it's usually just that simple like learn to box out correctly learn to play good defense like learn how to like run the floor and get in shape Mm -hmm. outlet pass all that crap uh but then then it's like you know that guy has no aspirations of taking you all the way to the nba right yeah like even if you are super talented he's like okay next step is you try out for jv and you know the best players make it and that coach is even better. You'd and, hope. You'd hope. <laughs> yeah. In general, if yeah. you're going to be successful, you get passed off to a JV coach who's even better. And then the varsity coach is like the man, super mm-hmm. cool. And then the varsity coaches, they have relationships with all tor- sorts of university coaches too. And, you know, and I think that's part of the issue with our system we have in the USPBA right now is that we've got some great grade four bands that have got some talented young yeah. kids playing in them. And they want to keep them there, which I totally understand. If I was a teacher there in a grade four band, let's just say in Charleston, I'll, hypothetically speaking here, if I was yeah. a pipe major of a grade four band in Charleston right now, and I had four or five really great young kids, um, it's hard to say you should go play in a grade three band someplace, you know, because it, you want to build your program. But for the for the enjoyment of the young kids and the talent that they're going to hopefully achieve at the higher level. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's a hard sell to, to keep them there because they're, they're going to want to play in a better band. They're going to want to get yeah. better. They're going to want to go out there and, and, and be able to be better players over the long haul. I agree a hundred percent. It's just so difficult. And, and, and where's that fine line? And, you know, we've got this playing instructor rule and everything else. In the, the I was just school. about to bring that yeah, up. Yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's a good like, rule, but it only works for one person in the band. That's right. And I think, like, so, and I've heard this, I've heard people grumble about this, but maybe you can give me some background. Like, uh, how about, like, I'm just going to throw some things out mm-hmm. there. Like, 
I like, here's something I think maybe, and I, I haven't thought this through all the way. Here's something I sometimes think would maybe be a really good thing for our world. I don't think this would be good for every association, but like, like re- reduce the limitations on, uh, how many bands you could be a part, you can be a part of at one mm-hmm. time. Uh, like for example, you know, I don't know, like I get it. It's tricky, but, um, like a great, here's a great example. Let's say, uh, let's say there's two bands that, uh, that have both have good, like, let's say there's two really good grade four bands. Uh, but they want to, they want to form like a higher level band between the two of them. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? How do you do that without Ooh. like really gutting the original bands? And a good yeah. example is like maybe, like like maybe it would be possible to. This is kind of what DCI is, you know. Like a lot of DCI kids, they play in their high school marching bands, but then in the summertime they play with the you know. And actually, the, the school band bands. rule covers that right now. Let's say you go to Carnegie Mellon. You play in Carnegie Mellon all year long. Yeah, but school and bands, then, right? But school bands are rare at this point. They, they are rare. But, but you're seeing this a lot more with a lot of the youth bands. There's um, Andrea Jones, who you probably don't know, but she's a really good piper from in Char- the Charlotte area. She started a youth pipe band there called the Queen City Pipe Band, or Youth Pipe Band. Yeah. And so those kids, I think, would fall under the, the school band as well, where they come together as a youth pipe band, and then they, I'm not sure how they have it built right now, but, but you know, that to me would be kind of a, a, a good segue. You know, like, get, get all the kids in the area together and play in a pipe band. <clears throat> But like, so going, going back to think, cause this is something that's been discussed like in sure. and around the Northeast from time to time, mm-hmm. but it would never work because of the rules. But it's like, let's say you have lower level bands and you'd like to, you'd like to bring, you'd like to bring the minds together to go to Scotland as a higher level band sure. or, or, or to maybe to compete at a higher level locally, but you can't like, you could have one or two playing instructors here or there, mm-hmm. but like what really would need to happen is that you could do both. Yeah. You know, like, and, and, and I think that because that's what would need to happen because like if you, if you need five people from my band, five people from your band and five people from another band to all like come together in order to do this higher level thing, which by the way, would be great for everybody involved because, mm-hmm. because maybe, maybe they're bored in their current band as far as progressing their skills. They were old man. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, like, good, so good chance of that. So you're there because you love your home band and you want to help the people and, and, you know, and you don't want to like, you think about all like the sour grapes and stuff that would mm-hmm. happen if you tried to force that in the current rule set. So like, is there a rule that could work? Well, that, I, I, that could, cause I think you, I think that could be a potential solution to the problem. Right. Cause I, uh, like I work with a local band now and it's great. But like, you know, uh, and I, but I, I yearn deeply to like, I don't know, do something at an even higher level. Um, but like, and I, I, right now I fly and play with Inverary, but like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'd really love to see something and, you know, from our part of the world that's significant. Sure. Um, well, I think the one thing that we would probably find, and and I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I think one of the arguments against doing something like that has always been, okay, well now we've got this grade three band that we all come to. I'm not going to go back to my grade four band, you know, and, and I think that that's kind of the same fear that we always have is that if they're really enjoying playing with the grade three band, that some of those guys are not going to come back home and they're going to continue to go back in and say, well, you know, I'm swamped with work and everything else. And, you know, maybe I don't have time for the lower grade band. If I'm going to make a decision between one or the other, it's certainly not going to be the lower grade band, even though I live in the same town and, and I grew up with these people and everything else. I'm really enjoying playing with the grade three band. And I think that's a big fear for a lot of people. And 
maybe why it's failed in the past. I don't, I don't know the, the whole history on something like that or when it's come up yeah. in the past. But I, I do think that if it was me, yeah, I'd love to play in the home band. But if I'm getting much more enjoyment out of the higher grade band and I'm really enjoying maybe not having to go to band practice three days a week, then you yeah. know, th- then that's that's kind of something that plays into it, I do think. Yeah. But, it's, it's just such a weird thing, right? It is weird. And, and I think that... Because, like, people have... Pre- uh, rightfully so. People have a lot of pride about their local bands and, like, mm-hmm. what that is. But that doesn't mean that you... It doesn't mean that you belong there as a player. True. You know? We had that in Orin Moore all the time. We had guys from local bands, like the St. Columkill guys, come to mind. Like, like they're, they're, like, the proudest group of guys ever, and rightfully mm-hmm. so, because mm-hmm. their band's really awesome. Yeah. But, like, but they're at a grade three level. And then there's a handful of guys that are ready for the higher level. And they did. They switched rosters, and they came to play with Oren Moore. Mm-hmm. And they helped teach back at home, but... They didn't play, though. <clears throat> but they couldn't. Right. That they you couldn't. Can't. But, but a lot of these guys... And that's a, that's a good example there of how it could work. But I think that a lot of the people that I've talked with said, well, I probably wouldn't go back and play. Uh, I mean, the number of people that I've heard that go play in... Well, back when Atlanta had a grade two band, you know, the the, the, the promise was that, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll take all this knowledge back to the home band. And then they find out, oh, geez, this is a lot more work than I really thought it was. This is a bigger time commitment. I don't have time for both. I'm going to go ahead and do the grade two band this year. And then I'll come back to the grade five or the grade four band or whatever it is they've got. And I don't think a lot of those guys ever did. Yeah. Um, at least that's what I hear. I don't know if that's really true or not. But I, I think that, that that scares a lot of people in, in the fact that, you know, Bands have sort of got to buy into this idea from a lot of players when they want to go play in a higher grade band. And unfortunately, I think it sort of forces the hand of the player because they, they know they're stuck between two different bands and they're always going to want to play in the more prestigious band. And and I I, I think it's just human nature that you want to go play at the highest yeah. level you possibly can because you want to be known as a good player. And if you're playing a grade five band or a grade two band, you know, is there much really to make a decision on there. Well, you're going to want to play in that grade two, man. You're going to be a better player. You're hopefully going to learn a lot more. The playing instructor rule does work in it that does. regard. In, in that regard, yes. <clears throat> it's but because it's the about, opposite. Right, but when you're talking about like five and six players playing from one band into another band, um, we, we've seen a lot of people have to make the, the switch, and they said, well, no, I would never go back uh, to that other band because I'm enjoying this other band so much more. Um, but, you know, that's – and I think at some point personal – Responsibility's got to take a a, a a front seat. Of course, yeah. You know, and, and if you don't want to play in the grade five band, the four band, whatever it is that you're playing, in, then that's fine. That's up to you. But I think that how does the school band thing work? Oh, it's it's, it's very simple actually. Um, you're with your home band in the summertime until the first contest of the year um, with your school band. So you're able to play up until the day before with whatever other band, and then the next day your, is your first contest with your school band. You're with that band all the way through until your last contest. So let's just say that your last school band contest was at Dunedin. On the ninth of this year or eighth of this year, you could go ahead and play in your other school or in your home band from that point forward. Right. So you know, we, we, we want these kids to come back and play in the home band. Um, we want to try to encourage as much as possible. Um, but of course, here's a problem. You look at Dunedin, the home band season is during the school band season. There's nothing down there in the summertime. Right. So Again, that's an anomaly there. Can you just there. play interchangeably there? Well, and that's part of the issue. If you were in another band, how would you like that? You know, let's just say you're playing in a grade four band and you got these kids playing from one grade four band and then they go play in another grade four band the same day. See, we'll that doesn't make sense. Band. But well, maybe like different grades if it's in a right. different grade? Well, it, technically you could. I mean, if you take a look at, um, okay, let's just say, and this is actually true because we discussed this not too long ago. There's a lot of players playing from um, Ulster in the, um, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, in the uh, um, 
Carnegie Mellon Band. So hypothetically speaking, the way the rule was written, and we just changed the rule because of this particular instance, hypothetically speaking, if Carnegie Mellon was first on and uh, Ulster was third on, these guys could walk from one band and then play into the next one because that's their home band and they want to play in the same contest the same day in grade grade three. Mm-hmm. That used to be the, the way the rule was written, but now we said, okay, well, the different calendar days. You can't play in the same band the, the, the same calendar day. Yeah, that's weird though because it kind of like, because but now that you've done that, now like, now Ulster and Carnegie, Carnegie Mellon t- to no fault of their own are, mm. are kind of like not able to put out their best product if they want to compete against each other on the same day. Right. Exactly. But you know, you, you've got to sort of say to yourself, okay, which, which allegiance do I have the same day or on, on this day? You can't have allegiance to two different bands the same day playing the same music, playing the same contest. And, and I think that again, you've got to make a decision which band you want to play in. If Carnegie Mellon's a better band, you want to go play with them. Okay, fine. If, if Ulster happens to be better that time of the year, yeah. then you got to make a decision and say, okay, well, I'm not going to play with my or my school band. I'm going to play with my home band because we're going to Scotland this year. And again, people have got to make their decisions. And, and I think that, you know, the association's point of view on this is that we want to make the, the most fair and equitable playing field that we possibly can. And I, I think it, it it generally looks bad when you have people playing like a, a large, let's say we got six people playing in one contest in grade four, and then they go play in a, in a grade three contest the same day. So in essence, what you're doing is you're taking minimum numbers from one band, a grade, well, let's say the grade four band, but they could have made up minimum yeah. numbers in a grade three band. I'm not saying they're the best players in that grade three band, but they're playing in a grade three band. So it's a difficult line to, to, to ride there because if you've got all those other players and all the other grade four bands, the other eight grade four bands that day, and they're watching players going from going from one band and playing in another band, yeah. whether it's, you know, a uh, school band or not. And I, that, we're just using the school band here. But if you're wanting to say a free-for-all, you know, you can play with whatever band you want to. How in the heck do you regulate that? You could have eight players in a grade three band, band playing in a grade four band. And at that point in time, is it a really grade four band? I don't mm. know. Right. So, and, and you want to make sure that the playing field is is level for everybody so when you see those other grade four yeah. bands looking at that and you but say, see we have that you know, problem now though we have that problem in reverse right now where where there's no there's no like great option for people to play at a higher level no there's not so what happens is we have grade like we have grade one drum corps playing in grade three true just because lo- just because like that's how it stacks up and there true. aren't good enough pipers in that local area in that local band mm-hmm. to go much further than grade 3 but the the balance of 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 ability level between the cores is like drastically different we also have like we also have grade 3 pipe cores now in the northeast that are like grade 2 with like grade you know barely 3 drum cores yeah. you know uh so we have that problem now and like you know, well, we've got that in grade one in North America right now. I mean, if you look at the, the, the great cross-section of grade one bands, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, there's only a few of them now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of those bands has not really got a very strong drum corps, but yet they're still playing at a grade one level, and they're still playing well at a grade one level because they're able to play and compete with the pipe core. Mm-hmm. And the way that the math, you know, stacks up, you can't come in any less than third in, in a grade one contest. Mm-hmm. So you could go out there with minimum numbers and have like, what, three snares out there, come in dead last and probably come in dead last in ensemble. But you're still in the mix, you know, yeah. for, for at least second place. So, you know, it's it's a... How was it so, like, after, like, with so many great players? I know, I, that's the, that's the discussion. How was it so Bush League still? I know. I, and I, and I, I don't really mean don't Bush League, like, I'm, I don't mean Bush League in any other sense other than we don't have it together at all. 
it, it's, it's regional. I mean, if you look at what happened in Ontario, and I'm not coming down on them, but they used to have such a vibrant grade two, grade one scene. Yeah. And now, you know, Metro's not out. Um, Ottawa police, I think they're coming back now in grade two. But, you know, I remember the days when there was, I think when I took my band, my grade two band to Maxville one year, there was like 14 or 12 or 11, maybe 10. I, I, I don't know. It was, it was more than, it was double digits in grade two. And I thought, oh, God, you know, this is really going to be a tough, tough sell. Yeah. Now you've got, what, 400 Squadron and Ottawa Police coming out this year. But two out of, you know, in, in, in a 10-year period of time. Yeah. You know, they've gone from having multi-numbers or mul- multiple numbers of grade two bands and grade one bands to whatever they've got now. One yeah. one grade one band in Ontario. That's amazing. It's really an interesting thing. I don't buy I don't buy um, Bertoff's like – like blaming all of it on the size of grade one bands, but I'm sure it's a factor. Mm -hmm. Here's the other thing that occurs to me now is like, as a person who's capable of playing in a grade one band uh, myself, it's like, um, I have a lot of fun playing in a grade one band, Mm -hmm. not so much playing in a lower grade band unless I'm teaching and I love teaching, Mm -hmm. but it's like, I need to be doing one or the other. And uh, I'm not, I wouldn't be that happy. I think this is maybe part of the issue. I'm not, I wouldn't be that happy playing in a grade two band. Yeah, probably just not. as like a guy. Yeah, and, and uh, like I, totally I can be happy. That. I can be happy in a grade one band, especially a good grade one band, as just a guy. That's kind of what I do right now. Yeah. I'm just a guy, um, and and you know, like I can, you know, I can do. I can write a little. I can write a couple tunes here and there, or write some arrangements, and that's kind of fun. Um, and then, and I'm really passionate about teaching. I'll teach at any level. I'll teach mm-hmm. a grade five band. I'll teach a grade two band. I'll teach a grade one band. You know, that's super fun. So I, I do that locally. I, I have a lot of fun doing that, but it's like, but the in-between I, I think is in really low demand. That's mm-hmm. why I think that's why grade two is struggling. It's like all, you're right. all of the, all of the players in the grade two bands that are capable of playing in a grade one band, they just go do that. Mm-hmm. It's not that grade one bands are, and like if you capped the roster size, I guess. Uh, you know that comes up all the time about capping roster sizes. I don't, I don't buy it. You no, know, and and again, if lot- I it, like that's the thing. So you cap the roster size. So let, let's say you're a guy who would who is in a grade one band until they cap the roster size, and then now you can't be in that band anymore. Yeah, what right. are you gonna do? So you could be living in no man's land, and, and you're not you playing gonna, at all. Are you gonna go play in a grade two band, or are you just gonna be like? No. Screw it. No. Screw or, it. I'd rather watch uh, TV, which, by the way, we should wrap this up soon because sure. your game's on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. The, <laughs> well, we'll wait and see how we do tonight. We didn't do very well the other night. Ooh, it was pretty bad. So who's we? Who's your hockey team? Oh, Tampa Bay Lightning. All oh, the yeah. way. I grew it's, up, it's playoffs now, right? It's playoffs, yeah. yeah. So I grew up in New Jersey um, until I was about seven or eight years old. So I was a Devils fan. Devils. So, but then we moved to Florida and we didn't get the lightning until 92. Mm-hmm. So I've always been sort of lurking on as, the fence. As, yeah. As a, as a fan of hockey, but not like, yeah. okay, well I've got to watch hockey. And then I came back out to a stingrays game, which is our local team in, um, in, in Charleston. And I kind of got that bug again, and I started yeah. you know, paying attention to what was going on. And hockey's a it's really, the last true sport; it really is. It's such a painful sport to be a fan, though, because mm-hmm. I was like, I'm no longer a fan of hockey. Oh, because uh, I, please. I lived in Canada. I lived in Canada like uh, for 11 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. So during that time, like when I lived in Toronto, you know, I got on board with the Leafs, and it was fun. Oh, it's yeah, a they great have, sport. They didn't have a team back in those days. Now they've no, got a the team. Leafs were bad then, yeah. and they're good now, I guess. And the Canucks are the same way. That they, Canucks were had a okay team for a, a couple years. They made the playoffs a couple years when I lived in Vancouver. But anyway, suffice to say, I was a fan of hockey at that point. Mm-hmm. But God, it's a gut wrenching 
It's, it's brutal so sport. hard to be a fan of it's hockey, a brutal sport. It's It hurts yeah. so bad. But, you know, it, it's the last sport where you can actually, you know, make a hit and not get a penalty all the time. Yeah. You know, in, in basketball, you've even come close to somebody, you get, you know, a foul. Yeah. Or, same thing in football. You basketball know, you, is way, it's way too many whistles. Way, I can't watch that sport. It yeah. just I love it. I'm passionate about it. I don't mind watching it. Uh, like when I'm there in, in, the, in the, the stadium and I'm watching it, I'm, I'm there and I'm with yeah. the rest of the fans. But watching it on TV, it's just like, oh man, it's like watching golf for me. Yeah, it just I, I get bored watching. It. I get it. I I get it. Yeah, too for many sure. too many too many throws. whistles. Yeah, too many whistles, uh, and and too many people complaining. I hate complainers. Yeah, and you know, in hockey, you get your teeth knocked out and you pick them up off the floor and you toss it to the coach and say, yeah. here, uh, do something with these. You know, nobody's complaining. If, if they complain, okay, you fight it out. Yeah, I mean that's that's you can't beat that. Yeah, and there's there's like not that many end zone dances and no. There's, they're all humble and you know that they know their talent level that they yeah. that they enjoy what they're doing obviously and when but, hockey players go home and uh like abuse their families viciously like they're oh, yeah. they're all from Russia so they know how to cover it up <laughs> you know what i mean oh my god it's true though well but you don't hear about that very exactly, much exactly you don't but you, you, but the thing i like about hockey is that exactly you, you don't you don't hear about you it you don't hear about any of that no no but uh <laughs> you go to gulag <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh but you've got to be able to skate first yeah, you know, in every other sport, okay, you run. Everybody can run. Maybe not as fast as somebody else, but you've got to have an ability and a, and a talent before you even pick up the stick to, mm-hmm. to hit the puck. Yeah, and that to me is pretty. I mean, they're they're running around on knives for Christ's sake. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to be able to know what you're doing with that. And and I, I can't skate. I'm, I'm not a skater. Yeah, I'm not a hockey player. But I, I I appreciate the ability that those guys have got. I lived in Canada for 11 years, so I learned. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I learned, but I. I saw you are very good. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I, I could do the basics. Yeah. I could skate around and like move the puck forwards. <laughs> I could go forwards. But I mean, you don't realize how big some of these guys are until oh, you're yeah. right next to them. And I've been to a lot of lightning games and, and, you know, you go down there and you start talking to the, the players and you can see them on the ice. I mean, Victor Hedman for the Tampa Bay lightning, the guy is six foot six flat footed, you know, yeah. and then he puts on skates and yeah. then, you know, you're looking at him and he's like it's Andre the giant. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, is Dan O'Chara for the, um, for the Bruins, which I can't stand that team. But, um, I mean, you look at Zeno Shara, the guy's six foot nine and like almost 300 pounds. And you're like, Jesus, this guy's going to go out there and skate it, you know, 25 miles an hour, 20 miles an hour down the yeah. road. It's crazy. No, I, I'm not getting in the middle of that. Yeah. Uh, you, it's wild. Go on by and I'll wave you past. It is a great sport, but I just couldn't take it anymore. And then when you live in Albany, New York, there aren't any teams really like, mm-hmm. like, uh, my brother kind of follows the Rangers. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's a New York New York team, so yeah. And, and we or actually Buffalo. knew my brother. We actually went to school with him. But there's a couple of guys from St. Andrews where we went to high school mm. in Toronto that that uh, play professional hockey. And there was there was a guy who was really good on the Rangers. I, I don't remember his name, but my brother was like a fan because he like mm-hmm. knew the kid. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like Steve Steve Amell, you know the um, the guy that does the Arrow TV show. Oh, I've seen something about that. I, I don't. I don't think yeah. I've ever seen it, but I've heard about it. Or... So I know. I don't know if he remembers me, but I know Steve Amell. What? So I love that show. No kidding. Yeah, he used to tuck me in at night in kind of like a weird, <laughs> in like a non creepy way. So, so because I, so. I went to boarding school, uh, when I was in eighth grade. Okay. And then so in the little kid dormitory there were house captains mm. so older kids that like mm. did uh one semester stint in the little kid house kind of like as a leadership thing and like yeah he was our house captain steve we got a little claim to fame down there in dunedin you, you ever the blue man group yeah anthony peruli was one of those guys and he was a drummer in the in the pipe court or the, sorry the drum corps down there no kid and so we knew him growing up and, and i saw him at band practice he just showed up to band practice he said well i'm kind of retired now and he's 
sort of a big wig with the the Disney music programs down there now. He's scheduling guy or like one of the, the big Mahoffs over there because of what he did for a living. And, um, and he came back and he says, you know, I, I really miss drumming. I'd, I'd like to get, get back into this and, and I'll, I'll come around and I'll, I'll start getting back yeah. into it. And I want to join the grade three band. And, you know, it's kind of neat to see somebody do really, really well and have a, you know, kind of a, a thing, you know, and then for sure go off and do that thing and then come back and, and say, Hey, you know, I kind of want to pitch back in. Does he come to band practice, but he still has like blue paint behind <laughs> his ears? <laughs> oh no, he hasn't done that in a bit of time, but he, he's, he's a, he's a, he's working for the rat down there in Orlando. So he's, he's, kind of a lifer down there now i mean those those guys get treated pretty well i think nice but he plays and does some other stuff i think you know a few times a day what's the rat oh mickey mouse man oh, oh gotcha the, the rat runs florida i don't care what anybody says you know growing up down there you, you can't do anything without the rat's approval and i mean you drive into orlando and everything is just ruled by disney and i remember back in the days when i was a kid if you went to disney there was actually a separation between tampa bay and well the city of tampa in orlando and then orlando and daytona Right now you can drive and it's just concrete from one end of Florida to the other. Crazy, right? And it's all because of the Disney thing. Yeah. You know, it, the, you can start seeing signs for it the second you leave Tampa. And you're like, my God, what what the hell happened to to Florida? You know, it makes you really wonder because um, it used to be kind of a. I don't really like. I'm I'm not connected to Florida in any way, so so I don't have like the same sort of um, like feeling of maybe mm-hmm. what it was or what it should be. It's like not seeing a tree between DC and Richmond. Yeah. yeah like I couldn't know? imagine that like where I grew up. Yeah. It, it, it's really kind of a shame because you know, that part of Florida was really beautiful back in the day. You take I four and just go from Tampa to Orlando and mm-hmm. the drive was really kind of, I mean, it was a straight shot, you know, but it was actually kind of nice to see trees, you know, cause living in, in Tampa Bay. Yeah. There's a lot of trees, a lot of oak trees and everything else, but, yeah. um, but you, you know, you're, you're, you're definitely kind of out in the wilderness and that was, I mean, there was a million people living in Pinellas County alone when I was growing up and just nothing but concrete, lots of roads and lots of street signs and, and lights and everything else. It, it was just very, very built up. But then the second you, you got out of Tampa Bay and you started going towards Orlando, it's like you felt like you were out of the city, into the country and everything else. But um, now you've got to go north to find that, like towards Ocala and Gainesville where yeah. UF is and, and up in that area, which I really kind of love. That's all horse country up there. And it used right. to be horse country between Tampa and Orlando, and it was kind of nice. And then, of course, you'd start seeing signs for, you know, Orlando and, you know, SeaWorld and things like that, which was kind of fun. But, um, and you sort of got that feeling that, okay, now we're getting back into the city, and, and it, it was kind of a fun feeling, you know? Yeah. But um, And now it's just like... Now it's just wall-to-wall. Disney jungle. Oh, it's just unbelievable. Huh. Um, not only Disney, but it's all the other theme parks out there, too. And, you know, it, it's it's... It's cheap to fly into Orlando. It's kind of like Florida's Vegas in a lot of ways. Right. Oh, it's you a know, lot. Everybody like that. flies into Orlando. Just way bigger, right? It's, it's and huge. for kids. Oh yeah, right. I mean, they call it the Magic Kingdom for a reason. You go there and your money magically disappears from your wallet. Yeah. I mean, everything is so expensive. Well, that's there. why I mean, like you know, because we have kids now, so we're we're like, oh, you know, you'll make your trek at some point. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure we will. But it's like, well, it's scary. It is scary. It's a lot of money. And my kid loves it down there, of course. But uh, you know, it just God, it's so expensive. I mean, you can drop a couple grand in a couple days. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> but of course you have to do it. And you have to do it's it. A pilgrimage. If you're going to do it, you want to do it right. But then to do it right, it's like 15 grand for seven days. It's yeah, like, uh, that's right. No, uh, a buddy of mine from college took his kids down there and, and I think they spent $4,000 in two days. For 15 grand, you could go to private school for a year. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. So let's just Absolutely do that. Right. Yeah. Let's do that. That'd be good. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> you know what I mean? I, I trust me. I do know what you mean. I we're doing the private school thing right now, and it's expensive. Yeah. So it's so. What do you tough. do in real life? My real time job you're, you're is not, you're not a full time president of USPB. No, no, I, I, I don't make any money at this at all. I just volunteer. But uh, my full time job is teaching bagpipes at the Citadel, uh, the Military College of South okay. Carolina. Yeah, yeah. So Sandy Jones was my predecessor down there. He did 25 years, I think, um, down there, and so I took over for him in 2003. So I've been there ever since. So, you know, for me to do the USPBA thing, I, I, I do sort of feel kind of obligated to, to give back and to do what I can to, to make things better and, and try to try to get things, I guess, better than it was when I took it over. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what everybody should always try to do. Um, but I owe a lot to, to piping and drumming. I mean, I didn't. No I, kidding, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I paid a couple of dollars for lessons when I was a kid. Um but I didn't, I mean, it was all part of the city program. You know, I went to school and in the middle school and I got free bagpipe lessons there every Monday night. Um, same thing in the city program. I mean, you don't really pay a whole lot down there in Dunedin to do that because it's all sponsored through the city and through the, 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 the county schools. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me to be able to make a career off of what I learned in middle school is just to me amazing. I mean, I would never have thought in a million years that I would be able to do what I'm doing right now for, for a living. So, I mean, we've done a lot of good things at the Citadel. We've been to the Edinburgh Tattoo twice uh, since I've been there. Um, cool. You know, Sandy took him over once in 1991. We went over in 2010 and 2015. We're going again next year. So, you know, giving those kids experiences like that is, is very, very important. And, and the great thing is they want us over there. They want us on a rotation for every five years. And, you know, it costs us about $320,000 to take those guys over there. We have, to charter, yeah, we have to charter a flight and everything else. So, you know, my job is not just piping. It's fundraising. It's It's, you know. Uh, dealing with personalities because every person that comes to the Citadel is kind of an alpha personality. So yeah. you, you gotta, you gotta manage that a little bit. And of course, when you got girlfriend, boyfriend problems, you got school, Tip, all school the usual problems. drama. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's only about 10% teaching some days um, yeah. and the rest of it's kind of um, managing um, people and managing, you know, the, the performances and, and making sure that we're not going to screw anything up. Actually, before I came down here to talk to you, um, <laughs> one of our performances, one of our seven performances this weekend, um, they gave us the wrong address. So my cadet calls me frantic trying to figure out where the heck he's supposed to be. And it turns out they gave us um, the wrong name of the, the place. So they're there at a locked up building and yeah. uh, for a, a cocktail party. So fun times. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So we figured it out and got it all done, but you know, that's what I got to deal with on a regular basis. Um, but it's, it's good. It's, it's, it's good for these guys to be able to go out, get out there and show what they can do. A lot of the people that we have coming to the Citadel don't play before they show up. Uh, we do have a lot of very accomplished players coming in there, uh, which is good. So we've got a good balance. We've got some people who can teach. And then we've got a lot of beginners. So it's a very, very good balance. We've got a grade five band and a grade four band. And they, they take prizes you know, quite often. Nice. So it, it's very rewarding for me to be able to teach and you know, hopefully get these guys to be decent players by the time they graduate. But then, like a football team, they graduate and they walk out the door and yeah. then you got to bring in the next crop of kids and start another 12 beginners. And then hopefully you have, you know, another two or three, but I've got 28 pipers in the program and about uh, eight or nine drummers, snares, and then a full line of seven tenors and bass. That's pretty cool. So it's, it's a big band, but you know, a lot of those guys learned when they got there. So you can only get them to a certain point in three, four years mm-hmm. while they're also going to college. Right. So it's, it's a, again, a fine line. You've got to ride between the reason they're there and, you know, them trying to accomplish the bagpipe thing or the snare drum thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, because they're there to, and they're spending a lot of money to, to get a good education. Yeah. So, you know, for me to, to say, oh, hey, you know, you got to come to band practice and the kid's looking at you go, going, yeah, but I've, I've got a, a uh, electrical engineering project I've got to get done. You know, 
which one are they going to do? Obviously, they're going to do their project, mm-hmm. and I would support that 100%. But, um, but, but it still sucks. It, it still sucks. But, you know, <laughs> part of the big military yeah. thing is balancing your time and, and time management. And if they right. know they've got a big gig coming up and they got to practice for it, then that's on them to try to do that. So it's a lot of fun to, to work with the kids. They keep me young. You know, it, like I said, I'm 40 years old, but I feel like I'm 25. Yeah. Um, the things they say, the, the, the their energy keeps you keeps you going and for gets, sure. you, yeah, it's, gets you motivated to do something. It's exciting. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's wrap it up. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for chatting. No problem at all. I like doing this. I just like, I I never really have an agenda going in, just kind of see where things go. And uh, I have fun. I I, do. I I usually, um, have you heard any of the other ones? I have actually. Uh, when you mentioned to me about your podcast, I, I sat down and listened to a few last night. Oh, did you? Yeah, I heard Some the of Don them, Lindsay like, one. That was pretty oh, good. Oh, yeah, the Donald Lindsay one was great. Donald's, he, Donald's a special man. Well, and Donald and I, <laughs> He's like, really a special guy. That's a great podcast, too, because, like, you know, Donald and I have known each other for so sure, long. Sure, sure. You know? So, uh, so the banter is, like, really, um, really esoteric. Oh, yeah. But, but it's cool. Yeah, Donald's Well, Donald best. operates on a level about... Oh, I don't know. A thousand hertz above the rest of us. Yeah, you know, he his his mind, the way his mind works, is really it's really impressive. And actually, we're working on a project with him with the USPBA to try and and speaking of recordings, trying to work with um, him to, to to get a lot of the recordings that he's made over the years of some yeah. of the old settings that he's got. Um, I've got some old recordings that I've already you know put into the circulation, but we want to make those available to the USPBA and our members. Yeah. Because the biggest complaint that we always get is that I don't have a regular instructor. Nobody's teaching me P-Brick. Nobody's teaching me these marches, um, Strispays and Reels, whatever it is that they're doing. We want to be able to sort of create a storehouse of tunes that people can say, okay, well, I want to listen to Black Donald's March. You know, what does the USPBA have on file? Yeah. And if we can provide them with like six different settings of the, or six different recordings of the tune, you know, by some of the greats of the old days and everything else. Mm-hmm. It'd be kind of neat to, to have them use that as a, as a, as an outlet, um, just as something to, just to listen to, you know, but again, a lot of people don't have a regular instructor and I think it's great what you're doing. You know, I mean, people who, who have devoted their life to teaching that's, we need more of that, you know, and, yeah. and if you can make a career out of it and everything else, that's fantastic. I know Jack Lee's done a lot of that kind of thing too. Um, John Cairns is doing a lot of Skype lessons, um, but it's great to see people who know what they're talking about teaching and, and trying to encourage more yeah. people to get out there and do it. So I think it's fantastic what you've been doing and, and I'm, I'm kind of jealous that you've got such a, a great following. I think, you know, that's, yeah, it's growing, you know, it is, it that, really is. That's a good thing. Like, you know, the, because it's a business and because I rely on it to like put food on the table, sure. like I'm forced to like be patient, it has to be good. Yeah. I'm forced to be patient and like try to do a good job and, you know, um, I can't just, you know, I can't just say, screw it. I'm going to go yeah. do something else. That's not really an option. Yep. So it forces me like to be disciplined. So, sure. so it's cool. And it's like, you know, it's fun uh, too. It's really, really fun. And, um, uh, yeah. Seeing I, the light bulb come on in somebody's head is, it's, it's worth more than what you're getting paid. You know? And for me, that that's, yeah. that's always what I've sort of thought about it. And the fact that we do make a career of this is, is very, very rare. But it's fun as well. You know, who can say they really love their job these days? Yeah. I mean, really, I know I can. You certainly I don't can. have a job. No, right, right. You know what exactly. I mean? Yeah. I say that all the time and people look at me like I got three heads. And the fact that I'm able to do it at my alma mater, because I also went to the Citadel as right, a cadet. Right. And sort of Sandy came up to me and said, you know, you want to go to the Citadel? And I, was, I thought, yeah, I'd, I'd love to go. And, and I actually, I approached him to, to try to audition. And he said, well, I had you as a competitor this morning and you, what'd you do? You won it, right? And I said, like, yeah. He says, well, you passed your audition. You're good to go. Right. Exactly. So, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky. You're lucky. Everybody's got a piping job is very, very lucky. Yeah. So 
Yes, exactly. All right. Well, uh, are we going to go get dinner or something? Yes, let's go eat. I'm starving. Yeah, let's do that. All right. I'm going to press the stop button. Right? All right, man. Three, Thank two, you. one, stop.